Chapter 4 Fields of Fear The trio entered the dimly lit tavern, its atmosphere thick with the mingling scents of wood, oils, sweat and fear. The room was abuzz with the nervous murmur of townsfolk, farmers, guards and others, gathered around tables cluttered with mugs and maps. At the head of this makeshift war council stood Mayor Royden Dayhand, a man whose greying hair and meticulously groomed moustache were as pompous as his demeanour. As Wiley, Plough and Jack approached, Dayhand's eyes met Wiley's. A smirk curled at the corners of his mouth. Wiley Halfenwood, as I live and breathe, last time we crossed paths, I was shackling you for the lowly crime of, what was it? Grave robbery? Royden Dayhand, you caterpillar-lipped codger. Thought that was you. And it wasn't robbery. That was good old-fashioned archaeology. Do you know how many skeletons and oozes I had to face down to collect those hard-won trinkets? Besides, as memory serves, you cravenly arrested me not for a crime, but to eliminate your competition for a certain fair-haired maiden's hand, and stiff competition at that, me being a son of Galen Emimaris. Despite the gravity of the hour... The troubled men crowding the room couldn't help but roar with laughter at Wiley's retort. Yes, you and half the town of Timberfell, I'd reckon. Royden earned a laugh of his own as he eyed Plo and Jack with obvious suspicion. And as to your friends here, did you not see the sign outside? No pets allowed. Pets! Jack exclaimed. We're here to save your paper-thin hides. A little appreciation would be... It's okay, Jack. Don't mind Royden. He was born with a hag's staff up his backside. I'm sure these other, more reasonable men are appreciative of seasoned warriors like yourself and Plo coming to fight on their behalf. Scales or shells be hexed. For the right price, of course. A tall and angular man in helmet and chain armour named Rasso stepped to the fore and spoke. As a tower guard, I say. Though your kind would have in past days been turned away at our gates, or even filled with flying bolts on sight, many of them from mine own crossbow. I for one welcome them to the fight. Another spoke up, an older, wise-eyed farmer named Noah. Good on you, Rasso, evidence of how it sometimes takes the darkest of days for one to see the light. I too welcome this half-ilf and his friends, if it means an end to the cinderbeaks of the charred cops. It's true, we're in dire straits, Royden acquiesced to Wiley. Your companions look quite capable, and I know you are, despite your penchant for untruths and past indiscretions. We're desperate enough to accept your mercenary aid. In return, we'll pay you, provide provisions, and offer complimentary rooms at the inn. Wiley glanced at Jack and Plo, reading their nods as agreement. So it's settled, he declared. You sorry lot have just bought yourselves some saviours. The room's tension eased slightly, but the weight of the impending mission still hung in the air. Everyone, get some rest, Dayhand announced, his voice tinged with urgency. We set out in advance of daybreak before those creatures return. Wiley, come with me and we'll discuss compensation and the threat we're up against. That night, as Timberfell slept under a shroud of unease, Jack found himself again in the realm of dreams. But this time it was different, more vivid more urgent. The ethereal elven female who visited him as he dreamt at Camp Twist materialised before him once more, but this time she spoke with a haunting, serene voice. 
I am Silene, the dreamkeeper. I sense that you are a fellow friend of the forests and a champion of the plants and creatures who inhabit them. Please help us, she implored, her voice tinged with desperation. A curse has befallen Felspite, turning its animals and its sevenfold stewards mad. The druids who cared for this sacred realm have lost their way. They must each be rescued and turned back to their true purpose. This, I believe, is your true purpose, Jack Halfenwood. Awaken. Awaken from your slumber. Awaken and fight to free us. Jack awakened as instructed. The weight of Silene's plea bore heavy on his mind. As he lay there, contemplating the vision and taking stock of his own thoughts and heart, the dragonling druid felt this newfound sense of purpose solidify within him. It was still dark when the war party assembled. The oceanic murkiness of the surrounding wilds, outside the fortified timber walls, busy with noise. Frantic chirps, mad howls, ominous cackles. Many of the voices in the chorus did not seem to belong, invaders from some other place. Seen off by Royden and a handful of the desperate townsfolk, the nine brave souls stepped through Timberfell's wooden gates, their boots crunching on the charred remains of what once were fields of plenty. There was our heroic threesome of Jack, Wiley and Plo, of course. They were joined by Royden Dayhand's haughty son Selby, Rasso and Noah, who'd spoken up in the tavern, Noah's nephew farmhand Eran, captain of the Timberfell guard Thies, and a brutish, seemingly half-orc female trapper named Kaja, whom Wiley made sure to stay upwind of and keep an eye on. The pre-dawn darkness was thick, almost tangible, as they moved past skeletal structures, some clearly abandoned, others eerily still inhabited by souls too lost or stubborn to flee. Fires from the recent devastation smouldered in patches, their smoke mingling with the morning mist to create a haze that clung to the air like a shroud. Selby explained what to expect for those who'd not yet encountered one of the creatures. They're tall and prance around upright on their hind legs, which are home to mercilessly sharp talons, equalled only by the pointedness of their flesh-shredding beaks. Their eyes are mindless and malicious all at once. These flightless, featherless birds, though you wouldn't be the first to mistake them for lizardkin, should the look of them strike you as such. They thrive on fire, so if you're a spellslinger, avoid anything born of flame, for your attack will only serve to heal the buggers. Speaking of flame, you'll want to flank them at every turn, and if you see them draw a deep breath, by the nines, tuck tail and run, because you're about to be hit with a blast of hellfire worthy of Sotis's forge. Arrogant Selby leaned in, studying Jack's scaled face. Are you scared, Dragonling? Swore I saw you twitch at my telling of the Cinderbeaks. Ha! laughed Wily. You're barking up the wrong birch there, Dayhan Miner. Young Jack is afraid of nothing, quite literally, nothing in this life or the next. Raised him from a hatchling, I have. Never seen him so much as flinch facing down mortal dangers, what surely'd have the likes of you spritzing your knickers. If anyone's afraid, it's that cowardly father of yours who elected to stay behind. My father's hip ails him. Ah, yes, said Wiley. So says the jig I saw him dance last night once the wine was flowing. As Jack listened to his adoptive father fawn over him, he beamed with pride. 
but in his secret heart he knew Wiley was wrong. There was actually one thing Jack was afraid of, himself. Ever since he was a small dragonling and accidentally seared the flesh off of his own hand with that first spray of virgin acidic breath, he was scared of the power he wielded. He was terrified of what he was capable of and hadn't used his breath weapon since. And now, as he grew and aged, and especially here in this mysterious, divine forest of wild dreams and wilder creatures, he felt that power growing, and it scared him more than ever. As they reached the last field on the town's outskirts, just before the tree line, they encountered a macabre tableau. Scarecrow stood at irregular intervals across the field, their clothes tattered and rotting pumpkins serving as heads. These grim figures seemed to have been erected in the aftermath of the fires, a desperate attempt to ward off further incursions from the monstrous cinderbeaks. The group's eyes met, each face reflecting a mixture of determination and apprehension. Just as they took their first steps into the field, a strange, cackling laughter erupted from the wilderness, sending a shiver down each spine. It was a sound that defied nature, a sound that belonged neither to man nor beast, and it was accompanied by an unnatural chill that seemed to seep into their bones. What an unsettling scene, rumbled Plo. I think it looks wicked, said Jack, his scaly black face twisting into a fanged smile. Then, the impossible happened. The scarecrow's eyes ignited with an eerie orange glow. Slowly, almost hesitantly, they began to move. Their limbs, stiff from disuse and decay, creaked as they lifted from their posts. The pumpkins grinned their perpetual grins as the scarecrows took their first shambling steps toward the party. Wicked indeed, said Wiley, as his hand instinctively went to the hilt of his sword, eyes darting from one advancing figure to the next. Plo tightened his grip on his staff, his eyes narrowed in concentration, while Jack felt a surge of arcane energy course through him, his scales tingling in response. What manner of black magic animates them so? asked Selby. Ah, oh, ready your arms. The scarecrows closed in, their movements becoming more fluid, more confident with each step. The laughter from the woods grew louder, more insidious, as if mocking the party's attempts to comprehend the incomprehensible. Selby, who only moments earlier had prodded Jack in hopes of finding someone who shared his inner cowardice, could do no more to hide it. He yelped and fell to the rear of the group, cowering behind the snarling orc Kaja, who guffawed at his timidity. The scarecrows closed the distance, their tattered garments flapping like the wings of carrion birds. The orange glow of their eyes seemed to intensify, casting an otherworldly light on the charred field. Wiley was the first to act, his sword unsheathed in a fluid motion as he lunged at the nearest scarecrow. The blade sliced through rotting fabric and straw, but the creature seemed unfazed, its glowing eyes locked onto him with malevolent intent. Farmer Noah, gripping his twin reaping hooks, joined the fray with a battle-hardened snarl. His weapons cut through the air, severing limbs of straw and cloth, but the scarecrows seemed to regenerate almost as quickly as they were damaged. Rasso, known for his reckless courage, charged headlong into the mass of advancing figures. For Timberfell, he shouted, his sword raised high. But his foolhardy rush was met with an overwhelming force, 
The scarecrows swarmed him, their straw-filled hands pulling him down as he screamed. Despite his struggles, he was overwhelmed. Plo, seeing Rasso's peril, chanted a quick incantation, his staff glowing with divine energy. But his face fell as he realised his healing power, much depleted from saving Jack, was not enough. Rasso's struggles ceased, his eyes staring blankly at the sky. The air grew thick with tension and despair. Selby cowered, gnawing nervously on the edge of his shield, his sword trembling in his hand. Kaya tightened her grip on her woodcutter's axe, her eyes trailing from one scarecrow to the next, as if trying to discern a pattern, a weakness, but finding none. The scarecrows, animated by the black magic of whatever cackling trickster lurked in the tree line, thirsted for blood and found it. They tore at the flesh of Aran and Noah with brittle husks and surrounded Wiley and Plo, their rotting gourds atop their rickety shoulders wearing murderous hand-carved smiles. Jack, sensing the urgency of the moment as he watched the possessed strawman close in on his father and newfound friend, stepped forward. His eyes, usually a vibrant green, shifted to a darker hue, almost black as he watched one grab hold of Wiley's wrist, another going for his throat. Enough! Jack shouted. Opening his hands wide, he unleashed a torrent of streaming fire that swept over the nearest scarecrows. The effect was immediate and devastating. The fire raged through straw and cloth, dissolving the malevolent constructs from the inside out. Their movements became erratic, their forms disintegrating under the flaming onslaught. Seizing the opportunity, Thies swung his halberd with renewed vigour, cutting down the weakened scarecrows as if harvesting wheat. Strapping Iran followed suit, his pitchfork finding its mark again and again. Wily, his sword hand freed, expertly cut the monsters down as Plo stomped them into the ground. For a moment, the heroes stood in silence, their chests heaving, their eyes meeting in a mixture of relief and sorrow and amazement. All eyes fell on Jack, admiration mingling with fear at the scope of his newly revealed power. Son, you're a spellcaster now. When did this happen? I don't know, Dad, Jack replied. I'm as shocked as you are. They had won the battle, but the cost had been high. Rasso lay motionless on the field, a grim reminder of the dangers that lurked in the world beyond Timberfell's walls. Plo, his eyes filled with a mixture of exhaustion and regret, looked down at Rasso's lifeless form. He was brave, but bravery alone isn't enough in this world, he said softly. We must press on. The charred copse awaits, and we have a mission to complete. Wily nodded, sheathing his sword. Rasso died a hero, he said softly, and we'll honour him by finishing what we started. Thank you.